it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christmas in July on the Tom Sumner program, and we're going to have some a a little bit of fun along the way. We're going to do our regular interviews. We have uh, some great guests on the show today coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. One of the co-authors of a new book called Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? David Shapiro will be joining us uh, during the second hour of our three-hour tour. We're going to spend the hour talking to somebody who was um, part of the, the Buddha Field cult, um, and she's written a book called The Followers, and her name is Radia Gleese. She'll be uh, joining us during the second hour. We start out with, uh, why do we want what we want? entrepreneur and philosopher Luke Burgess uh, has a new book called Wanting. But we're going to feature throughout the show some uh, 
Christmas-themed music by local artists, some accents, and uh, more like like this one uh, coming up here in uh, just a moment. This is new music from Todd Gilbert. This is uh, we're actually going to be sort of uh, premiering this. Uh, on the show he's got an album called Christmas for Everyone that he put together during the pandemic so this is new music we haven't uh, that we haven't played on the Tom Sumner program before and I appreciate Todd for letting me get that music uh, into the into the library so not only are we going to have Christmas music by local artists and I always say our Christmas music is better than everybody else's because it's local but we have some new music and some of it I think will be debuting some of its covers some of its original music by Todd and we'll squeeze that in plus some of the uh, the usual favorites but but let's start out with uh, Todd this Christmas Baby, please come home. The snow's coming down. I'm watching it fall. Lots of people around. Baby, please go home. The church bells in town. Oh 
Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, in case you ever wondered why we want what we want, entrepreneur philosopher Luke Burgess teaches us how to understand the forces that drive us with his book, Wanting, which uh, came out in uh, June of 2021. And uh, Luke joins me by phone. Hi, Luke. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Good to be with you. Um, what what made you want to tackle why we want what we want? Well, because I've spent all of my life uh, thinking <laughs> about why I want some of the things that I want through wild career changes and anxiety about where to go to school and what to do after that. And uh, I just always been wondering, you know, what's the force that's driving me? And it took me uh, quite a while to get to the bottom of it. But when I finally did, I thought the uh, finding was important enough to share. So I wrote the book. Well, I have, for as long as I can remember, I mean literally as long as I can remember, wanted a 1962 Rolls Royce. (laughs) I, I, I don't think that I will ever have one. But and and I've always just figured that, you know, I wanted that car because I thought it was cool. And I mm-hmm. liked the car. But how much of what we want is keeping up with the Joneses? And keeping up with the Joneses explains a lot of what we want. And the premise of the book that I wrote, my real key discovery was this idea that desire is very much a social process. We, we have models of desire in our lives. For most of us, the first models of desire are our parents, and then we have friends, and we have a society and teachers that we admire. People that are shaping our desires, even generating our desires all of the time. So there may be, if you go back far enough, there may be some model, somebody in your life that may have planted the seed that a 1962 Rolls Royce is is a car that's desirable. I don't know. But, it, you know, most of the time, you know, we convince ourselves that our desires are 100% our own or there's like a direct line between us and the things that they want. And we tell ourselves all of these objective reasons, <laughs> oh, it's got this kind of motor and this and that. But if we dig deep enough, there's usually some model of, of desire, some social No, it was, it was a television program. I, I know exactly mm. what it was. It was a television mm. program. It's the same reason I've always wanted a 1966 Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, television is a powerful model, that's for sure. And and it's, but the point of your book doesn't just look at consumerism. It's talking about all different kinds of desires, isn't it? That's right. Uh, consumerism is something I think it's important for us to understand. I mean, that's keeping up uh, with the Joneses, you know. They get a new that's car. Keeping up with the Joneses. We got to get a new car, and and that's at work. Plus the the suggested the suggestions made from advertising that you know tell us why we need you know cool shoes and all that. But you're talking about other desires, success in business, uh, all of these other things that we might long for. Right. So keeping up with the Joneses is 
almost the most superficial layer of what I call in the book mimetic desire, which is a fancy way of saying imitative desire, that we, as, as humans, you know, we often imitate the desires of other people. So keeping up with the Joneses, our neighbors, is, an, is a simple manifestation of that. But yes, I'm talking about career choices um, and even romantic interests, uh, you know, friend groups. So this, so this goes down to identity and why we pursue or desire all kinds of things, not just material objects, but things like status, professional prestige, awards, all of these things. That's really the heart of my book. And when you talk about, um, I mean, I'm not sure, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but I, I am looking for the... Uh, I, I am looking forward to it, and, and especially the chapter on why people want 62 Rolls Royces. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm kidding about that, Luke. But um, hmm. the um, when you talk about romantic desire and and the things that that drive us, it's often been said that we tend to be attracted to people that um, that look like us or someone that we've known um, that there's mm. there's a type that we look for over and over again and and I would think understanding why we want that is critical to letting us off the leash a little bit Mm, yeah, there, it, there's a. Um, you know what I mean. I don't know that I set that up very well, but. Well, I think I do know what you mean. Um, I mean, there, there's certainly some biological, physiological things going on that help explain attraction. You know, we know that there's hormones and pheromones, and, and there's all kinds of reasons why we're attracted to some people. Um, but there's there's more going on than than just that. And that's the kind of the, the social force of desire that I'm describing in the book. You know that in every language in the world, as far as I know, everybody falls in love. Nobody, like, rises up into it. It's the same <laughs> language, right? There's, there's a sense of falling in love. And it's because we're, it's almost like there's this force like gravity that's operating in the world that operates to our psychology and to our desires the way that gravity does in, in physics. So it's interesting that we speak about falling in love or being head over heels and using that particular language. And the argument that I'm making, and this draws in a large body of social work from, from the thinker who inspired my book, is that, yes, there, there's usually somebody in our lives that has, some, has anchored you know, some kind of model of, of you know, what we're looking for. And often, you know, it's not even something we're consciously aware of. So it's really trying to help people get down to the bottom, the, the origins of, of their desires. And there's also this interesting phenomenon that we, you know, we, we sort of want um, or we're more attracted to something that we can't have. And this kind of explains like, why people have been playing hard to get probably from the beginning of time. So my, my book sort of gets into these, these interesting dynamics of desire. More about wanting with entrepreneur and philosopher Luke Burgess straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about wanting with entrepreneur and philosopher Luke Burgess straight ahead. What's the difference between what we need and what we desire? Mm, Well, that's a great question. One way to think about what we need are... You know, we, if we really need something, we don't typically express a lot of preference uh, about the different options. If you're really thirsty, you're just dying of thirst, you're not going to complain about the kind of water that I give you to drink. You know, you just be happy if I gave you some water to drink. Right. Because it's clearly a need, right? We have these basic needs. Desires, we get into this world of preferences and, and brands, and now there's 50 different kinds of, of, of water that we could want. And I think we basically live, most of us live in a world of desires. It's like we spend very little of our time, you know, pursuing needs. Um, usually we're, we're sort of in a world where we have tons of choices to make about, you know, the kind of food we buy and the brands and the media that we consume. And th- these, are, these are really all desires. So it's not to say that they're, they're totally different things, like there are needs and then there's desires. A lot of the things that, that are needs, like, you know, water and comfort and sustenance, have just become, they've moved more into the realm of desire, say, than the way that they were a few thousand years ago, because we just have so many options, and people are paralyzed by choice. And uh, the book is it's trying to explain how we, how we choose between practically an infinite number of options. We normally look at what the people around us desire and and they help us sort of make sense of a world in which we would become overwhelmed with choice unless we had powerful models of desire around us is it as is it as simple as as uh luke burgess sitting there thinking well i want this and then wondering why do i want that well i want it because everybody else wants it well why do they want it is it is it is the process of beginning to ask the questions that simple? It is. It, it, it is. You know, and, and you know, there is this recursive process, right? Like, well, who had the first desire? And that, yeah. that <laughs> who wanted that, it first? That opens up, right? Right. Who who wanted it first? Um, you know, one of the fascinating things about this this kind of social process is. There are first movers. I mean, imagine if you turn a, a room full of toddlers loose uh, in a room with a bunch of toys in it, more toys than any of them could possibly play, like hundreds of toys. And, you know, one little girl goes and picks up a bright red fire truck. Now, who knows why she picked it up? Maybe she picked it up because her dad's a fireman, or maybe she picked it up because, you know, red is bright, shiny color, and it stood out relative to the other toys. So there's... There's all kinds of multi-variate factual reasons why she may have picked that up. But once she does, once she does, another child will inevitably be drawn to the same toy. And the more fascination she shows in it, probably the, you know, the, the, the more kids will gather around. And pretty soon they'll probably all be fighting over the same toy, even though there's a hundred laying around waiting, waiting to be played with. And, you know, the, the book is saying, like, you know, we, we do this all the time. Like, in a sense, you know, scarcity is, is, a, is, is that we, we create it psychologically in our own minds because we, we naturally gravitate 
or are attracted to what other people want, and that can bring us into conflict, rivalry, and create a lot of tensions between people. You know, it's funny. I, I don't have a tremendous interest in precious metals and stones and jewels, but yet I would accept them because other people have put great value on them. Mm. Um, how do we... Is it just because other people have put value on them that we begin to want something? Is it, um, you know, somebody... The, 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 the kids, the, the children in the room you, you talked about with a room full of toys... Um, you know, is it is it just always going to be the bigger kid that, that wants the toy a little <laughs> kid has? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a difference between you know material objects and 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 other things. Um, so, in the case of you know stones or you know a bunch of toys that are more or less alike, it becomes harder to to choose. Um, also, like the the more abstract that a thing is. Um, you know, I, there's some I, there's something tr- true to be said about objective beauty. Uh, you're desiring something that's just objectively, you know, beautiful. At least my belief is that there there is such a thing as that, and that we were influenced by that. But you know, as we we start thinking about things that are a little bit more abstract, ideas, and you know, and careers and hobbies, those kinds of things are typically more driven by this mimetic desire, this imitative desire, this social process, because we have less, we have less cues um, to, to, to go on. So we have these powerful instincts, you know, that are just hardwired into us that, you know, help us react to, you know, when we see something um, or we hear something beautiful like Mozart, you know, hopefully we, we respond to that. But then there's this there's another world of, of more kind of ephemeral things that is more more heavily influenced through this social process because we lack those signals that are kind of built built into who we are as humans. But things interact um, so much that that it's hard to tell. You know, do do I want it to rain because I like rain or because the plants are dry? Mm. Yeah, and you know, it, it, chances are it's it's you know both and, and um, you know there's there's complex reasons why we want things and we have mixed motivations. So I, I mean, it could be that you like rain. I I happen to love rain. Nothing I like more when it's raining than to sit out on my back porch with a book, and if it hasn't rained in a while, I just I, I hope that it does so I have the chance to to do that. We we um, call <laughs> Luke. We call that the observation deck. <laughs> where we watch it rain and watch it snow and i and i grew up i grew up in michigan i grew up on the west side of the state so okay we're we, not far from lake michigan so we we got a lot of it yeah <laughs> like that lake effect you never know what you're gonna get indeed indeed yeah. where do you start looking to find out why we want what we want I mean, it's not as simple as just asking somebody, why do you want that? I'm reminded of the Bill Cosby line. He says, why is there air? And he said, uh, you know, I was I was a gym teacher. I, I knew why there was air. It was to blow up volleyballs and basketballs and stuff. 
<laughs> but, but but where do you start? I think a great place to start is taking an inventory of life, and that means looking a little bit at your history and how you grew up and and the people that were influential in, in your life. And I've done this exercise myself. And usually if we do that, we find certain models of desire, positive and negative. It could be a coach we had when we were younger. It could have been somebody that really influenced our desire to you know, pursue a particular path in school and go down a, a particular career. And often we don't realize, I mean, one of the points in the book is that so much of this process is unconscious, but we can bring it a little bit more to conscious awareness by, by, by doing this kind of an exercise. And we begin to see the way that these models of desire uh, shaped our own or generated our own. I have a good friend of mine who watched, I don't know if you remember the movie, A Few Good Men, I think it came out oh, in the yeah. late 80s. Yeah. Yeah, Jack Nicholson. It's a great movie. And I had a, a buddy of mine who rewatched it for the first time uh, just last year, and he hadn't seen it since it first came out. And he just finished reading Wanting, my book, and he said, Luke, he goes, I watched this movie, and I, I realized that for the last 25 years, I've been saying lines from that movie and sort of, you know, shaping, and he had a military career too, and, and shaping some of my desires based out of things that I heard and saw in that movie and I had no idea. It took me rewatching it to realize how much of an impact it had, had on me the first time that I watched. He was like, this is a revelation for me. So we, could, we all can, you know, that's kind of a, a simple, funny little example from a movie. Um, but most of us have people and artistic influences that, you know, usually have more explanatory, explanatory power than, than we realize in helping shape our, our path, our journey. Well, I, I had uh, an experience with, with a friend who'd been in show business all his life and had not seen until well, well into adulthood, the old movie Casablanca. And we mm -hmm. watched it together. He was seeing it for the first time. And yet, all through the movie, he kept saying, I know this line. I know this line. I know this line because it had been imitated so many times in so many ways. And he was in show business, so he had seen a lot of the parodies and, you know, all of that. And without having actually seen the movie, he had seen the movie. But I, I, I love stories, hearing them, telling them, reading them. And my parents were tremendous storytellers. And my kids tend to be good storytellers. And, and, and so when you talk about looking back into your own life, it's, it's easy for me to spot what motivates me now whenever I do that. Mm. I think that that's not easy for, for, for most people, to be honest. Because I think these influences are relatively subtle and you know it's a fascinating point you make how we can be shaped by stories that we haven't even had direct contact with because they've become part of the culture and they've been the lines have been imitated and we have had contact with them and they've affected us in some way without us even knowing it and to give you a good example i would say you know if you're you know an american living in 2021 then you know, the biblical stories have had such a profound effect 
in shaping the culture for thousands of years. Like even if you're not a person that has ever read the Bible, they they have profoundly shaped the culture that we live in. And you probably know them way more than you than you realize, and they probably affected the way that you think about all kinds of things, moral things, ethical things. Um, so I mean that, that's a that's an example of how a lot of these currents run in our lives, but we're not always explicitly aware of the way that they influence us. What about people that are drawn to? for lack of a better way to put it, the dark side. Um, I I was reading something uh, about your book, and and, um, it, and it talks about this idea of mimicking the desires of others and, and why we might be easily drawn to conflict. Mm. Well, the, the fundamental... Um I guess problem you could say if you know if it's true and and you know the book makes the argument that human desire is largely mimetic or imitative that we're imitating the desires of other people in other words we're you know other people are shaping our desires and we're reacting to them and we're all in a web of desire and if that's true then if we we've we've taken somebody else's desire as our own uh, and we, we begin, we sort of naturally can make ourselves into a rival to that person or that group, and it can create tension or conflict if we don't realize that that's happened. We begin to see them as an obstacle to our achieving it, whether that is, you know, power, whether that is, you know, in a simple example, you have two people in a workplace that you know both want the same job and maybe the other person only or really wants it because the other person wants it and they're sort of in this you know competitive environment and you know even you know jobs often take on special value because of who wants them it's funny we're interesting creatures like if nobody wants a position if a position opens up and nobody seems interested in it and we're kind of secretly interested in it, we start to doubt ourselves and almost second-guess ourselves because we're so reliant on on other people modeling desires for things. Yeah, if it so, was so great, somebody else would want to do it. Right, right. It's almost like we're addicted to obstacles. We're, we're, we're addicted <laughs> to, you know, like if something's not hard, then it's not worth doing. This is. I, I feel like this is very ingrained in the American mindset. But in my experience, some of the best things that have ever happened to me in life are the easiest things. They're totally free, like meeting my wife, you know. Um, so that's, there's, this, there's a weird inverse. That's where we have to be careful. That mimetic desire, imitative desire, which is what I wrote about, can lead us into conflict and always be searching for obstacles. And then we, you know, if there's not a good obstacle, uh, it's almost like the thing's not desirable for us. What what is the difference between craving and desire? When I use the word desire, I mean um, something a bit deeper than than craving. Um, you know, craving I associate with um, well, kind of more of a sensual desire or a hunger, something that's almost like a uh, has some physicality to it. Um, and but craving is often short-lived. 
you know, we, we, we do, you know, I associate craving with passion, for instance. You know, this great passion is ignited. And desire is something that is a bit deeper than that. It's something that, that endures after the craving or the passion is gone. So to give you an example, you know, I started companies in my early 20s in California in the startup world, and I would have this deep passion to, you know, to start something, and I would do it, but the passion would only last so long. And, you know, a lot of relationships are like this. And, you know, if there's not a deeper desire to draw from, um, and the, when the passion goes away, you either quit or or you have to draw on something deeper. So I think d- d- desire is something that I would I would say is thicker, uh, is a little more rooted in something um, deeper that that endures. Whereas cravings, we have cravings for all kinds of things, right? The trick is identifying, uh, you know, does that craving have something deeper underlying it? The you taught you mentioned earlier, Luke, about drawing on others' work. Who are some of the people that you look to? Who's who's exploring this? Well, the the, the most obvious example for me is the thinker who's who really inspired writing my book in the first place. Uh, whose name was Rene Girard. He was a, a, a French a French man who came to the U.S. shortly after World War II and you know, ended up staying in the U.S. for his whole career and was the first one to really articulate this understanding of human desire. And he was multidisciplinary. Uh, he studied everything. There's not a lot of people like that. And he studied philosophy, history, literature, theology, social sciences, uh, really an interdisciplinary mind. And, you know, I, I realized his, his writing is also very obscure. So I realized, you know, if I don't write this book, it's totally inaccessible. <laughs> My job <laughs> is, to, is, is, to, is, to tr- is to translate this because I think he's, he said something important here that, that can help us make sense of some of the things going on in our world, can help us make sense of our lives. So he's, he's a tremendous model for me. Uh, he kind of transcended political divisions and said, listen, there's something that's kind of universal that we need to understand. It's a base layer of understanding our society and social relations. And that, that, that thing is desire. If we understand the way that desires are shaped and formed and lead us to look at other people as obstacles or scandals or in the way of us getting what we want. The mentality that, um, you know, if, 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 if it's kind of a zero-sum game mentality is, is really what the work explains really well. You know, the fact that, you know, if, if I want something, you can't have it too and vice versa. Um, so he's been a model for me. Does it explain the emptiness that we feel sometimes when we get what we want? Yes. Yes, because... If desire is generated and shaped by by models, well, there's, you know, what is it now, seven and a half billion models in the world for us to choose from. So (laughs) this, and, and, you know, we do this unconsciously. You know, we don't typically look at somebody and say, well, that person wants this, so, you know, I'm going to then pursue that. This all happens usually very, very much under the radar. But the, the problem is this. When we get whatever that thing was, and we're still not fully happy, we still have some craving, 
we very quickly just assumed that, well, maybe I followed the wrong model. And we look around and we just choose another one. And that's kind of a never-ending never game if we don't realize that that's happening. So, yes, that sense of emptiness, which I've felt in my life after having accomplished things that if you would have asked me a couple of years earlier, I would have told you, well, if I just get that, then I'll be set. Uh, and, you know, it turns out that that's not the case. And I, I teach at a university and I try to tell my students, look, guys, I, I had everything that you probably want uh, 10 years from now. And I'll tell you, like, I, I, I wasn't happy. So I, you're going to have to find something more meaningful, something thicker to, you know, to latch on to and build your life around than just these ideas of, of professional success that are usually modeled off of what our culture and, you know, various people, you know, tell us uh, is, is, is wantable, is desirable. So it's just kind of filtering through and understanding that, you know, we're, we're, there's no, there's no kind of external achievement that's ever going to give us full satisfaction. My guest is Luke Burgess. The The book is called Wanting, and uh, in it, he uh, teaches us how to understand the forces that drive us to want things and to unwant things. Uh, fascinating stuff, Luke, and I appreciate you spending time with me this morning to talk about it. Um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Luke, do you have a website? I have a website, and it's at LukeBurgess.com. B-U-R-G-I-S is my last name. Well, Luke, thanks so much for uh, sharing your thoughts with me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on time. Really appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Again, that was... uh, Luke Burgess, author, professor of business, founder and CEO of multiple startups, and the author of a new book came out in June of 2021 called Simply Wanting. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Good tidings to you wherever you are. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickerson. <laughs> It's Christmas Eve, and the Bickersons have not retired. Mrs. Bickerson is busy wrapping presents in the bedroom while husband John, exhausted as he is from the pre-holiday activity, puts the finishing touches to the tree, which stands proudly in the kitchen, the only other room in the Bickersons' small apartment. Listen. John? John? Will you bring the scissors, please? John? What is he doing in there? Oh, no. How can a man fall asleep on a ladder? Oh, I haven't got the heart to wake him. Oh, I'd better get him off of there. John? John! Oh, ow. What's, the, what's the matter, Blanche? What happened, huh? Oh, you poor dear. Did you hurt yourself? No, uh, no, I'm all right. How did I fall off that ladder? I must have fainted. Yes, dear, you were fainting like a log when I came <laughs> Why, John? What? You never even touched your dinner. Not a morsel of it. I don't like the looks of it, Blanche. Oh, stop that talk. It's perfectly good food. You let it sit there on the kitchen table for hours getting cold. You want me to warm it up for you? No, just tell me what's on that big plate. Are you trying to be funny, John? I'm not trying to be funny, Blanche. What is it? You know very well I can only cook two things. Liver and rice pudding. Well, which one is that? How can you be so nasty on Christmas Eve, John? Blanche, I just asked you a civil question, that's all. I didn't think it was liver because your liver always looks like rubber heels. That stuff looks more like scrambled eggs, so I thought it might be rice pudding. Well, why don't you taste it and find out? I'm not hungry. That's why you're always tired, John. You don't eat enough. I eat plenty. Well, what did you have for lunch today? Well, you ought to know. You packed it for me. And listen, Blanche... I'm getting sick of carrying my lunch to the office in paper sacks. Why can't I go to a restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. Lunch? That's the kitchen scraps. How do you like that? No wonder I never have an appetite. Why do you do that to me, Blanche? Go on. Eat some dinner and finish trimming the tree. I don't want any dinner. I want to go to sleep. Aren't you going to finish the tree? I can do it in the morning. But, John, tomorrow morning is Christmas Day. I expect a lot of people to drop in. The butcher's coming, and the milkman is coming, and the... Listen, Blanche, I can't afford to give those guys presents. Why did you invite them over? I didn't invite them. They're coming here to collect their bills. Bills? What bills? I gave you money for the bills. Well, I had to buy presents, didn't I? My sister Clara sent me a package, and I had to get her something in return. No, you didn't. Nobody asked her to send you anything. Well, she did just the same. So, I bought her a bottle of perfume. How much was that? Twenty-four dollars. Twenty-four dollars? Why, nobody can carry that much perfume. If it was only an ounce, silly. It's the latest perfume. Very daring. It's called 
perhaps. Perhaps for $24 you should get positively. Don't be so crabby, John. We're not going to fight on Christmas Eve, no matter what happens. Remember, you promised. Okay. I'm not even going to get mad because you didn't send me a Christmas card. I did send you a Christmas card. It isn't necessary to make excuses or alibis, John. I'm going to forget it entirely. I don't have to make excuses. I did send you a Christmas card. I mailed it five days ago. John, you, you promised you wouldn't shout. Well, then, why are you goading me like this? You know I wouldn't say I sent you a Christmas card unless I had. I never received it. Well, then it got lost in the mail. Kevin. All the other cards came in. That doesn't mean anything. One card can get lost, can't it? If you sent it. I did send it. I swear I sent it. Had a wonderful poem on it, a beautiful picture. It was trimmed with lace. Cost me a buck. All right, John. Well, you don't believe me? Let's not discuss it anymore. Okay. But I hope you don't forget to send one next year. <sighs> What's the use? All right, so I didn't send you a card. That's all. Why didn't you just admit it before? There was nothing to admit. I just said I didn't send it to end the argument, but I really sent it. What did it say on it? Um, it said, uh, Merry Christmas to my love. That could be anybody. Let me finish. It said, Merry Christmas to my love, my wife, my life, my turtle dove. Life with you is great, it seems. I love you more than pork and beans. You're only adding insult to injury, John. Well, how do I know what it said? I can't remember what... What's that laying on top of the newspaper? There it is. There's my card. Oh, so it is. See, you didn't have to get so excited after all. Oh, thank you, darling. It's a lovely card. Wear it in good health. Well, let's open the presents and then go to sleep. Well, how could you, John? You know we never open presents until Christmas morning. Besides, you haven't finished trimming the tree. All it needs is a string of lights. One of the bulbs is blown. That kills the whole string. Well, can't you buy a bulb? The stores aren't open now. What time is it? Five past twelve. Well, that's good. It's Christmas Day. Let's open presents. You didn't even hang up your stocking. I haven't got one that would hold anything. They look like lace curtains. Come on, let's open the presents, Blanche. Come on, huh? Oh, all right. Say we haven't got very many this year, have we? Oh, who's this from? That's from Leo Goosby. It's amazing how you went to the one shaped like a bottle. Oh? Oh, is that what it is? I hope it's good stuff. Ah, mm, that's not bad at all. John, that's shampoo. Shampoo? Why, that chiseler, two-bit Leo? What do I want with a bottle of shampoo? And to think, I threw out 39 cents on a tie for him. What have you got there? It's another present for you. Oh, it's from your boss. No kidding. Gee, that's a big one. Oh, what is it, Blanche? A five-gallon can of lighter fluid. Well, that's fine. That's just what I need. I don't even own a lighter. Well, don't feel too bad, John. Maybe you can exchange it for something else. Last year, he sent me a bowling ball case. He must get these things in a rummage sale. I never heard of such presents. Here's one for me, from Louise Shaw. Shoo, bet that's a dilly. Oh, Louise always sends something nice. Not expensive, but it usually comes in handy. Well, look at that. What is it? It's a polo score pad. Isn't that nice? That'll sure come in handy. Honest, Blanche, you've got the weirdest collection of friends. Is there anything else? Just our presents to each other. Why don't you look at what I got you first, and then you can show me what you got me. Now, 
Close your eyes. I'll unveil it. All right. I hope you didn't spend too much, dear. I don't really want anything. Open your eyes. Blanche. Oh, Blanche, darling. That way, that's beautiful. That's a dream. A portable bar with a brass rail. Don't you think a kiss is in order, John? Oh, a million kisses. Well, stop <laughs> kissing the bar. I meant a kiss for me. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. It's it's just too good to be true. Oh, you're wonderful. Uh, Blanche, that must have cost a fortune. Now, John, don't get angry, but I sold my fur coat. You you sold your fur coat? I wanted you to have the bar, and I didn't have the money. You sold your coat, that beautiful fur coat that you bought yourself for my birthday, that gorgeous bald mink? I got $75 for it. The bar cost 85 Oh, Blanche, you sh- never should have sold that bald mink. It doesn't matter. I have a cloth coat, and I never get cold. Yeah, but you don't understand. Um, open the present I got for you. I can't wait, John. Oh, a muff. A fur muff. Genuine plucked skunk. I had it made special to match that coat. It can hold two full quarts, and you sold the coat. Oh, well, what's the difference, darling? Someday you'll make a lot of money, and then you'll be able to get a coat that'll match the muff. (laughs) I'm very happy, John. I know, but... uh, And you still have the gorgeous bar. That's just it. What's the matter? I sold all my bourbon to pay for the muff. That's great, isn't it? What a break for both of us. I think it's wonderful, John. What do you mean, Blanche? I've never been so happy in my life. We've both made a sacrifice, and that's worth more than all the gold and precious jewels in the world. Just to know that you gave up a prized possession is proof enough that you love me. I've always loved you, Blanche. I may holler and rant and act like a first-class crumb sometimes, but you never doubted that I loved you, did you? No, John. It's been seven years, honey, most of it uphill. I haven't showered you with diamonds or bought any yachts, but I try not to deny you anything. I suppose you have your little faults, what woman hasn't, or what man either, for that matter. We're both pretty sensitive people. Maybe that's why we beef so much. Still, I don't think we're any worse than any other married couple. At least we have a safety valve, and we can let off steam. Some of the others just carry it inside until the break comes. No, Blanche, I like it this way, and I love you more than anything on earth. John. Hey, hey, cut that out. I'll prove how much I love you. Where is that liver or rice pudding or whatever it is you made? (laughs) It's liver. I'll eat every bit of it if it kills me. Let's go. Merry Christmas, darling. Merry Christmas. Good night, John. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
you pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.